Hi, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, I'd love to thank several sponsors. I'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network first. You can find all their stuff at bgn.fm. They're responsible for getting many great USL podcasts out, so please give them a look. Also go to firebirdsoccer.net. This is the new website for our former Firebird Rising coverage, so you can find all sorts of great coverage for Phoenix Rising FC and other soccer-related news in the state of Arizona, all at firebirdsoccer.net. And lastly, we would like to thank Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is a uh, sponsor for, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, all sorts of other stuff. So go to Roughneck Scarves and find a scarf today. And now let's get on to the show. Hello, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast, and today it is time for the second semi-annual Riser Awards. It's our version of the Oscars, and I am joined by my two esteemed colleagues and co-hosts, Jeff Wentz and Kyle Mackey. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great today, Dominic. Uh, ready to, to dish out some mid-season awards and talk about a, a great first half of the season that this club has had. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing awesome. Just, you know, super excited to be a part of my first risers, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is, it's a great time to be a Phoenix Rising fan. So, uh, super excited for this. Indeed. So let's get things started with a fun, very competitive poll. This one is the Team MGP Most Gritty Player. The nominees are Duigi Mala. Mike DeFont, James Musa, and Solemn Nisante. In the fan vote, everyone got at least 13% of the vote, and it was a three-horse race between Mala, DeFont, and Musa. Mike DeFont eked this one out with 31%. Uh, he won nine votes to James Musa's eight and Duigi Mala's eight. So Mike DeFont is the fans' choice winner. Who do you guys think is the most gritty player? Um, I, I, I agree with the fans on this one. I think Mike DuPont has been a very gritty player this year. Uh, you know, coming here kind of late, uh, you know, from Colorado on loan, you know. But he's adapted to his position very well, and he's, you know, he's... I mean, you know, there, there are times where he's been asked to play out on the on the left-hand side when he's playing in a three-man back, or he's asked to play in the center in a four-man, you know, on a four-man back. But it's just, you know, his adaptation and his, you know, his willingness to work, uh, to me, is, it makes him the most gritty player just because, you know, he's not the, he's not the biggest guy out there. And 
you know, to see him being a center back and not being one of the bigger guys out there, you know, and, and he's winning headers and he's winning tough balls. I mean, to me, that, that to me, has been the definition of gritty for me. Kyle, how about you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go with Solomon Asante here. I mean, just for me, it's, it's his constant tenacity on the ball and just his ability to not react when he's, when he's fouled, even if he's wrongly fouled and the ref doesn't, you know, issue a yellow card or even blow the whistle. I mean, he's, we never see, you know, any sort of bad reaction out of him, any sort of, you know, negative attitude. He's, I mean, he just works hard. I mean, and Mike DeFont does as well, but for me, it's, it's Asante because his sheer, his lack of size, I guess you could say, you know, the, the players that he's going up against are, you know, a foot, sometimes a foot and a half taller than him. And I mean, he's, he's just able to almost make them look foolish at times with his hard work. And I mean, even his defensive work, right. He's, you know, for an attacking player, he still gets back and, and works hard to win the ball back when we don't have it. So, I mean, for me, it's Solomon Asante just because he, he does so much and uh, we never see anything bad from him. Yeah, and I, I love your your uh, call for Solomon Asante because I know it's a dark horse choice, but that's my choice too. For me, grit is about tenacity, heart, desire, and just constant effort. And, you know, credit to Duigi Mala and James Musa, all the other nominees really, but Mala and Musa have been out of the lineup for stretches of the season. Mike DeFont, um, he's the most gritty of the defenders, but... For me, it's Solomon Asante because he is just consistently giving 110% every single week, week in, week out, from the very first match of the season to now. Um, and there are just so many matches where his grit has saved us from defeat or has snatched a win out of, at best, a draw. Reno comes to mind. It was the very last play of the day where he earned a penalty kick, converted the penalty kick to get us three huge points um, against Fresno. We were about to lose 1-0, a really disappointing loss when he finds a perfect pass for Alessandro Rigi to give us the 1-1 draw uh, against Swope, where we blow a 1-0 lead. We're about to lose that match, and he just fires a shot into the bottom left corner. Uh, You can even talk about OKC Energy. He scores the first goal of the season at home for us. And so for all of these reasons, I mean, he even did score the first goal of the season for us in, in Orange County, so... Um, Solomon Asante is the man for me, most gritty. Uh, you don't think of him because he's smaller than defenders, but I think he's the guy that just epitomizes grit. So I think with that all being said, we have the MGP award done. Let's go to the next category. And this is a fun one. This one is most likely to have an amazing skills Despacito 4K remix on YouTube. Um, There have been so many ridiculous uh, player skills remixes lately, and people are always commenting on Reddit about, oh, this this guy is going to have a remix. So the nominees here are Solomon Asante, Alessandro Rigi, Jason Johnson, and Colin Fernandez. This was a very close three-man battle. And this is the only category that ended in a tie in the fan vote. Solomon Asante and Alessandro Rigi each with 34%. Jason Johnson with 31%. 
this was 12 votes each for the first two and 11 for Johnson. So right down to the wire. What are your guys' thoughts? Who's the most likely? I'd have to go Alessandro Rigi here. I mean, just his, we've seen in the past his uh, goal celebration dances. And I mean, just his, his sheer skill. I mean, every time he's on the field, he can produce a highlight reel. But I mean, that could be said about Solomon Asante and Jason Johnson as well. I think all of them are, you know, they're highlight reel players and they all just seem to, to kill it every time they're out there. And um, I mean, yeah, I, for me, I just have to nod Rigi because his, uh, his dancing abilities. Um, I'm going to have to say Solomon Asante just because I, you know, what I love watching him, uh, you know, his bursts of speed on the outside or whether it's his play on the inside, he just gets a defender off the ball so quickly. I mean, it's, it's things like that that just make me so impressed with Solomon Asante and what we've seen out of him this year. I mean, you know, if it, if it wasn't for him, you know, it doesn't open up avenues for Jason Johnson. It doesn't open up avenues for Chris Cortez. You know, I I, I guarantee you that without, without Solomon, I, I think a lot of those goals aren't happening with this club. Yeah, and um, those are really good points. See, for me, with the heart, I would say Rigi, because he's just such a fun player. He has the dances. He has the skills to go with it, though, um, whether that's finding people for assists or putting in great goals himself. I think there's a lot of material there, but I think the guy with the most material has to be Solomon Asante. You go back to the match against Las Vegas, where he got past four defenders on the sideline. You go to any match, really, and there are two or three moments where his burst of speed just makes defenders look like statues. That's the man for me who's most likely because he just has so much material to choose from and he just does it every single week. It's amazing what he does all the time. But, you know, all three of these, all four of these guys really could have uh, a remix. Um, but I think Solomon Asante is my vote here. I love Rigi though. And, you know, shout out to Colin Fernandez. Maybe he's not getting as much love being injured of late, but he had some great moves to set up goals earlier in the season. And I think we'll see more of that before the season ends. You guys have any other thoughts on that one? No, I think I'm pretty good there. All right. Well, let's go to another fun category. This one is best hair. And there's an asterisk because we... It's just weird not seeing Kevon Lambert with that big bushy afro. He definitely would have been one of the nominees, but since he shaved it off, the nominees are Devin Vega, Didier Drog Bald, Evan Waldrop, and Amadou Dia. The fans resoundingly chose Dia here 72%, 23% for Evan Waldrop, 5% for Didier Drogba. What do you guys think here? I mean, don't get me wrong, I love all of Dia's hair, but anybody who can, can get their hair to stand up like Evan Waldrop does, I mean, just just the, the flowing blonde, you know, and to have that nice nice setup in the front, I mean, and, and to keep it during a match, I mean, that's, 
I mean, that's high quality stuff there, in my opinion. I mean, you can't ask for much better than that. I, I'm going to have to go with Dia here. I, I mean, I'm just going to have to side with the fans. I, I mean, his dreads, I, the, the way he just gets them to stick up, and he's he's even able to style them to the side at times. Um, I just I love that hairdo from D, from Amadou Dia. It's been consistent. And I mean, it, when when I'm at the field and I've kind of lost where he is on the field, it allows me to find him find him quickly. So I mean, for me, it's it's got to be Dia. Yeah, I'm gonna go Dia too because, like you said, Kyle, that just it's his look. He has made it his look um, with those dreads, and I, I especially love when they're off to the side like that. Uh, the way he rocks it is just pretty sweet. Um, although respect to Evan Waldrop, I love his look too. Great, strong blonde hair. Um, it's very impressive in person, uh, and I got the privilege to see it in person when I interviewed him. A couple months ago um, honorable mentions here I would probably say Joe Farrell I would probably say Jason Johnson he has a cool streak he has a cool line in his um, I don't know anyone else that I'm missing for honorable mentions well it's not like you can you, know, you can take the pretty boys like Carl Wazinski and Zach Lubin <laughs> and a lot of guys like that but uh, <laughs> I, I think the choices are pretty fair here uh, I was just about to say, we, I mean, we could go for the best shaved head, too, if, if we were going to, you know, start to go that way. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, Drogba, Drogba definitely does it right. Uh, it's a cool drug bald look, but, yeah, I think these are good choices. Um, and who knows, maybe if Kavon's Lamb Kavon Lambert's afro was still there, that would get some votes, too, because that was sweet. Well, I think they'd get a lot more votes than, than just a few. I think, you know, that was that was the greatest thing to see at the beginning of the season was that Afro look, and I thought he was going to keep it for a while, but guess not. It gets hot here, you know. I can understand. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think I think the heat is what, what changed his hairdo, so uh, maybe, maybe come fall, winter time, we see it come back. For sure, for sure. Uh, the next category... Best off-field news of the year. And the nominees are... Alex Zhang. The Alex Zhang news. MLS stadium renderings, promos, and watch parties. We've had some pretty neat ones. And Didier Drogba doing BBC coverage. The fans voted pretty strongly for the Alex Zhang news at 68%. 30% give MLS stadium renderings. And one Vote for promos and watch parties. Sorry, Sam Dorr. What are your guys' thoughts here? I'm right on the fence here on this one with the Alex Zung news. Uh, you know, obviously, the, you know, the big thing is MLS is looking for that, that deep pockets owner uh, to, to, to make sure that the club has enough finance backing, you know, to, to move forward, you know, as a club in MLS, uh, you know, you, you can't ask for anything better than the club going out and finding him, and you know, no disrespect to the to the MLS renderings, you know. For all we know, you know, well, you know that may not be the final stadium look. It also depends on where the stadium ends up going. You know, if it ends up going in a different location than where it, you know, where the the current talk has been, 
you know, they could change some things in the stadium to make it look a little bit different or make it fit in a little bit better, you know, with its surroundings. So, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot in that part of it, you know. But I think by far, Alex Zung is, is the most important uh, bit of news that this club has had to deal with this offseason. Yeah, I, I agree with you and the fans, Jeff. I mean, getting getting a huge owner, a a whale of world soccer, if you will. I mean, he's a part owner of Nice, one of the largest clubs in France. And, I mean, they, they have a player by Mario Balotelli. I know some of you may uh, may be familiar with him. So, I mean, to get a owner of that caliber is huge. And like you talked about, I mean, that's going to go a long way with MLS. That's one of the things that makes Phoenix – a very serious contender and I mean yeah with all respect to the to the renderings I mean they look great but they might not be the exact plans that are used and I mean it, like you said a different location and possibly like we talked about maybe even a renovation of an existing structure which would no doubt look different so it's that's I mean that's great news but I mean I think the bigger news is that we have a huge billionaire owner now yeah, the thing with the stadium renderings, it's like you guys are saying, we don't even know if those are going to be, if that's even going to be exactly how it turns out, because we don't even know where they're going to build. You know, if they end up building downtown, maybe they just do something different. Maybe they just try to renovate Chase Field. So we don't even know 100% if those are the renderings that they're dead set on. What we do know is Alex Zung is a powerhouse owner in world soccer and he is part of our group now he's a billionaire he has that soccer experience which is a huge check mark in my opinion i think that is tremendously helpful especially when you compare it to like the glazer families of the world the fenway sports of the world that have no soccer experience um so i'm i mean that's i think the biggest thing that has helped us in our push for mls this year Um, and if you guys have nothing else there, I think we can move to the next category. All right. So the next category is another one-sided one. The, the category is best super sub and the nominees are Alessandro Rigi, Billy Forbes, Evan Waldrop, and Kavan Frater. And everyone got multiple votes here, which is good to see. But we have a pretty clear winner with 68%. That clear winner is Alessandro Rigi. And do you guys agree with the fans here? I do agree with the fans here. It's, it's the right place. Even though as of late, I mean, if, if this were a, you know, a, a different type of vote, I, I might give it to Evan Waldrop being the way he's played the last few matches. But if you're looking at the overall picture, Alessandro Rigi brings a different uh, brings a different factor to the game all alone. I mean, just his speed alone. You know, when you got somebody that's that's you know going down a little bit on the speed factor when they've been in there 65, 70, 75 minutes, and you can bring in somebody of an Alessandro Rigi that just kickstarts everything once again and gets everybody going. I mean, that you know. He, he can't ask for anything better than that to come into a match. I mean, granted, Waldrop has played very well in the last few matches, having multiple chances to score multiple goals. He's also helped 
try to set up a couple of opportunities as well. He's really starting to find his his niche, and I you know, and I think you know, for someone as young as he is, and getting an opportunity, you know, just just to have the opportunity to be able to to, to play coming right out of college, you know, and get this experience is great. You know, I look for better things from Evan coming out of this second half of the year. You know, and I would not even be surprised at some point if you see him get a spot start or two. Yeah, I, I agree with, with the fans and I think everyone else that Rigi is our current super sub. Uh, like Jeff said, that's not to say Evan couldn't, you know, make his way up there and become a super sub. He showed great promise so far. I mean, he's been robbed on a couple occasions of a of a, his first professional goal, but I mean, I think once he gets there, he'll continue to score and create great opportunities for the team. And yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, we still have a lot of games to go this season. I think we could see him get in a starting role, maybe a, a midweek match, or maybe even like a the Seattle Sounders match coming up. You know, you never know. Um, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, I mean, Rigi's just been everything he's done. Every time he's on the field and play goes through him, good things happen for us. And I mean, I think I think he has four assists right now so far this season, and that hasn't even been in a starting role for him. So to be able to produce like that off the bench, I mean, that just says it all. Yeah, I think I don't have much to add to what you guys already said. The four assists in a very limited role in single-digit appearances this season, that's going to speak volumes. Um so I would I would agree. Also under Rigi for now. Um, I do feel like if this was, you know, the first month of the season we were voting on, Billy Forbes might have my vote because early in the year he had some dynamic appearances, especially going up that left wing. But uh, his injury really pushed him back for a couple months, and you know for that reason, Alessandro Rigi is pretty clearly the choice. With that being said, let's go to another. Uh, another category and this one is going to be a little bit closer than these last couple this is one that sparks a lot of discussion the question is who is the most important coach for Phoenix Rising success this year and the choices are Patrice Carterone, Rick Chance, and Blair Gavin slash other 51% went with Patrice Carterone, 44% went with Rick Schantz 5% went with Blair Gavin slash other. And I feel like that was just two votes for Amadou Dia in the other category. I don't know. <laughs> but what are your guys' thoughts here? Because this is there are really good arguments on both sides. There are some great arguments on both sides. My choice is Rick Schantz. And here's, here's the reason why I say this. Let's, you look at the fact that he's now the interim coach for the rest of this season. And I had a chance to sit down and talk with, with Rick a couple of weeks ago at a, at a media watch party for the World Cup. And you can just see a different level of confidence around Rick versus what he had last year when he took over as an interim coach when Frank Yallop left and before Carter Owen came in. He's taken a lot from not only that experience, but all the time that he's spent with Patrice Carteron. And it's not just the stuff that you always see on the field with the tactics and the substitutions and, and that stuff. It's all about what you don't see on the field. It's the how you manage players 
after a match. It's, a, it's how you get them prepared physically for the next match. It's how you get them prepared mentally for the next match. He's had the opportunity to see all these things now and get a get an opportunity and a feel for what needs to be done. And I think things that he saw from Carter Road, he's been able to transfer over this time in the second stint that he wasn't quite sure of the first time. I mean, when you're down in Tucson and you and you, you coach down there, it's a little bit different. You know, you're playing a little bit more regionally against teams in the PDL in that area. You know, whereas now you're up here in the big boys in the USL and you're having the opportunity to, you know, expand and go further distances with longer road trips and stuff like that. So I think he's had the opportunity to see that. And now that he's had that opportunity and now that he's focused on that and he's really honed in, you know, I think the second stint for him is going to be really good. And what he's learned is definitely going to go a long way in this second half of the season. Yeah, those are those are great uh, points for Rick Shantz. Kyle, who do you have in this in this debate? I'm gonna have to side with Jeff and go with Rick Shantz. I mean, just for me, I think looking forward towards towards the end of the season, yeah, Carterone has made a huge impact on on the identity of this club and how we play and where we're at right now. But Rick, it's up to Rick Shantz to steady the ship and steer us towards clear waters and to get us towards the USL Cup. I mean, it's it's we can't really rely on Carterone anymore. It's, it's really up to Shantz. I think, like Jeff said, he's equipped now. He's learned a lot in the last year from Patrice Carterone, and I mean, I don't think there's many, many managers that he could have learned from that would have been better because, I mean, Carterone has shown everywhere he's gone, his track record has been success. And for Rick to be able to learn from someone like that and then quickly have a team that's successful on the field themselves. I mean, Carterone was gone pretty much the whole month of June, and even though he had set up the team, Rick still had to keep the boys in the right state of mind and make sure that they all knew this was business as usual. You know, just because just because Patrice went on to a great opportunity didn't mean that the club was going to fall apart. And he showed that. You know, I think, I think now he may have the interim – had, but I would like to see that go away because I personally see a future in Rick Shantz. I think that he could be a great coach for Phoenix Rising, and I just love the fact that he's a local guy from Tucson. You know, the fact that if we've stuck with someone and not gone out and tried to look for a big name, I think that just speaks volumes of the front office's confidence in him. Yeah, and you know, I voted for Rick Shantz. I think you guys are right, especially for looking at who is the most important coach for this season's success? If you're looking at it for the future, I think there are some really strong arguments there. But just to play devil's advocate, I'm going to give the Carterone argument because there is a strong argument to be made that Patrice was the most important coach, is still the most important coach for Phoenix's success. And it really starts with preseason preparation. Even before training, he is talking to the assistant coaches. He is establishing a team philosophy. He is very involved with off-season signings, including Solomon Asante, who must have been attracted with the possibility of playing with Carterone, who has an African track record of success. So you have to figure Solomon Asante would not be here 
without Patrice Carterone being here. You have to imagine that's a massive selling point. Then you get to training, and you get to the start of the season, and you see his defensive philosophy, his emphasis on defense, you know, it comes into fruition with a strong start. And that strong start is important because there's never been an Arizona United, Phoenix Rising, Phoenix Wolves team until this year that has had a strong start to the season. At the midway point, you know, there have been teams in the past that maybe they're on the fringes of the playoffs. Maybe they're just sneaking into that eighth spot. But there's never been a team like really in contention for a title at the midway point until this year's squad. Even last year, we were outside the top eight at this point. And I think all, I shouldn't say all, but I think the majority of that credit has to go to Patrice Carterone for setting us up to be in an amazing spot at the end of this season because he put the pieces together as far as players are concerned. He established the team philosophies through preseason and through drilling early in the season. And he set Rick Chance up with a lot of knowledge for the remainder of this season. So I, I think you can make a strong argument that Patrice is the most important coach, certainly to this point, and you can even say that he will be the most important coach regardless of how this season ends up. Absolutely. I mean, you, you made great points, and I mean, I think that's, that's why the fans voted that way. I mean, it, it is... Without Patrice, we would not be where we are. I think nobody's going to dispute that. But uh, I mean, I just I personally have to side with Rick Shantz because he's he's here now and he's our future. Yeah, I, I, you know, great points. You know, on both ends of this of this argument. You know, you know, Patrice has done a lot for this club. I mean, you know, you can't take away the fact of what he's you know the the, the recruitment that he's done, and that's another key that you kind of have to look at, too, is, you know, how will that change as we move forward? We won't know the answer to that until the end of this season In the next season. Of course, Bobby Dooley picks up the, you know, the quote-unquote general manager's role now at this point. Um, but, you know, I, it, it's going to be an interesting, you know, uh, you know, Patrice had a lot of pull with the, with the Ghanaian players and had, had pull with the Jamaican guys. You know, can Rick continue to keep that up, or will Rick have to start looking elsewhere uh, for other talent? You know, like that. You know, we don't know how that's going to play out. We probably won't until the end of the season, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's a it's a fun question. It's an open ended question, but I don't think there's really any right answer there. Uh, the important thing is just that they've both been very instrumental in getting Phoenix Rising where we are. Um, so with that being said, the next category we'll go to is most underrated player. Uh, the fans voted pretty strongly for Amadou Dia on this one. I'm kind of surprised given some of these other nominees. And you might see that we'll have different choices. But the nominees are Amadou Dia, Gladson Awako, Alessandro Rigi, and Joe Farrell. All of these uh nominees got multiple multiple votes Amadou Dia won the fan vote very convincingly with 59% although we feel like there may have been some Dia bots influencing this influencing this result 
there were a couple people very active on Twitter uh, with a pro Dia slant uh, when we released several of these polls. So, you know, credit to Dia, but, you know, for me, I think Gladson Awako is who I think of as far as underrated. He's a guy that we've been tough on at times this year. A lot of times we're asking for more attack-minded players to step into that starting role. You know, maybe guys like Devin Vega, maybe guys like Alessandro Rigi, and yet Awako just steps in there, you know, maybe even Colin Fernandez, but Awako just steps in there, he does his job, he's a pro's pro, and he's great in build-up, he's solid in defense, he does everything you can ask of him. And so for me, I think it is Awako. I agree with you, Dominic. I mean, I, yeah, it's we have been harsh on him, but I mean, it's because we don't. What we see from him is great. We don't always see the flair from him. We don't always see assists or goals, but he's always key in the buildup. He's always contributing in some way, and has, like you said, such such a hard work rate, such a great engine, the cog pretty much to our midfield and. I think that's why he's he's continued to be in the lineup, and Carteron saw so much favor in him. Um, I mean, yeah, just a consummate professional. And, I mean, yeah, he is underrated. I personally think I rate Dia highly, so I wouldn't consider him to be underrated. I mean, personally, I guess maybe some people would think Dia's underrated. For me, I mean, I think he's he's a top player in his position in all the USL. I mean, he's... His defensive work rate is great. He can go, he can go one on one against pretty much any player, and then when he gets forward, his creativity, his crosses into the box, and I mean he can he can take some shots and score himself. So, yeah, I mean Dia is he's class. So uh, for me, it's got to be a walkout just because I mean he does so much of the dirty work that's not always recognized. And and how different would people's perceptions of a walkout be if? Against Monarchs, the one home match we lost 1-0, if that shot from distance went into the top left corner instead of banging off the crossbar. I mean, that would have been an electric goal right there, and he just missed it, and so we don't really think of him as being a goal-scoring threat, but he definitely has those moments. Yeah, he does have those moments. I'm going to go a little bit... uh in a different direction, and I'm going to say Joe Farrell. Uh, when you look at, at at Joe and what he's gone through, I came over from Rochester, and so everybody thought when he was one of the first signings in the, in the offseason that Joe was going to be that central defender that we were really going to need. Well, for some reason, throughout the preseason, you know, even though even though Joe played well, for some reason could not find the field. And, you know, for the, for the first little while, it ended up being Luigi Mala, Mike Defont, you know, in the, in the uh, center of the, of the, the fence pairing. And at some point, Farrell found his way to the field, made a difference, and has, and has kept his spot there in, in central defense ever since. You know, Luigi got hurt a little bit, and so that kind of took him out of the lineup a little bit, but now he's come back. Um, you know, there have been some other, you know, injuries and different formation changes where they play three in the back versus four in the back. And, but Farrell has constantly worked through it. And, you know, credit to him for being the consummate professional and working through all that effort. 
to find his way back to the field and to make a difference. You know, he's had a couple of he's had a couple of goals now this season off of set pieces, and I think that in part is what you know we've really missed at times is, is you know having that person on the set piece you know, really making a difference. And this year's set pieces have, have really helped us along in, in quite a few matches this year. And, you know, for, for what he's gone through, you know, to me, Farrell, you know, has been one of the most underrated this year. Yeah, I think that's that's super fair. I love how humble he was early in the season when he wasn't getting those starts. And so it's great to see him take advantage of the opportunities that he's received and make the most of them and become a regular in our lineup. I, I'm with you, Jeff. I think he's definitely a guy in that underrated conversation. Uh, we'll go through the nominees for the next category now, which is most improved player. I love this category. I love that all the nominees were recognized by fans for their hard work. And I'm especially proud for two of these nominees. Uh, the nominees are Cody Wakasa, Chris Cortez, Kavon Lambert, and Carl Wazinski. Everyone got at least 13% of the vote. Chris Cortez won the fan vote with 38%, Wakasa with 31%, Carl with 18 and Kavon with 13%. I am so proud of Cortez and Wakasa this year. And I think all three of us have one of those guys. So let's get it started. Jeff, who do you have as most improved? I have Cody Wakasa as most improved. I mean, you look at what he's, he's done. I mean, think of, think of where he's come from last year and all the times we were very critical of, of you know, what his play was and, you know, making too many mistakes and, and not being in the right positions and stuff like that. And to come in this year, and yeah, he struggled to start finding the field because Devontae DeBose had beat him out on the right-hand side. But at some point, Cody found his way to the field, and Cody has impressed ever since. I mean, on top of it, he's picked up his, he picked up his first quarter goal, you know, over in Tulsa a few weeks back. Um, but his play has been solid. Take away the red card that he got, you know, this past week against O.C., yeah, yeah, it was a mistake, and we all realize that. It's one of the very few mistakes he's made this year. You know, but for the most part, he's adapted not only to playing, you know, in defensive role, but he's also, he also adapted in, in the midfield, you know, when they went to the three-back system and he moved up. You know, I think, you know, everything that he has been asked to do, he's done, and he's done it, you know, solidly, you know, much better than what he did last year. So that's the way I look at, you know, him being most improved this year. Yeah, Kyle, I mean, what are your thoughts? He, you're right, Jeff. Cody Cody has made great improvements this season. Um, I mean, yeah, like you said, he's maybe had, he's had a couple of mistakes. That one in the OC match sticks out because it's fresh. Um, but, I mean, he has. He's not, it's not as, it's, not as many glaring mistakes as we used to see last season and yeah I think people criticized him a little bit and I mean maybe it was unfair because they were just rookie mistakes and that's exactly what he was but in this second season I think he's shown a lot of maturity and I think he's learned a lot from 
from the defensive unit around him seems to have a really good chemistry. But, I mean, I just have to give the nod to Chris Cortez because, for me, he's made the most improvement from last season. I mean, last season he was a good striker, but I wouldn't say he was top class. This year I really think he is top class. I think he can hang with the best of them. I mean, he's been scoring goals that – I just don't think we've had players that would have scored goal, those goals in the past. I mean, that one from Amadou Dia in the OC match off the volley, I mean, that was just a wonderful strike. and He's just improved his positioning the most, I think. He's able to, to find the ball now, and then we all know when he gets the ball, he can hold up and make, make opportunities happen for the other team or for the other players on his team. Um, I mean, it, it's just... He's stepped up in Drogba's absence so much that I, I just have to say Chris Cortez. Yeah, and, you know, you both make really good points. I think I'm going to go with Kyle on this one. Um, Wakasa's well, been incredible this season, by the way. Last year at this point, we were looking at him as, like, you know, one of the five most disappointing players at this stage in the season. He improved in the second half but really has taken it to another level this year. We, we really think about the OC match, but that's the first mistake he's made like that all season long. And if this vote was last week, I think I would have gone with Wakasa because to that point, he'd been just about pitch perfect, even getting a great goal, his first professional goal at Tulsa. Um, he's been everything you could hope for and then some. But I'm still going to go Cortez here because Cortez is having a career year. He is already on eight goals, one off the league lead, and he's on pace for a double-digit goal-scoring season, which he has never had with Arizona United, with Phoenix Rising. And so we had a lot of questions about what would this team do without Didier Drogba. And Chris Cortez has really filled that void. He has stepped up. He's made things happen. He's scored big goals, you know. He would have had the Open Cup winner. He put us ahead in that match. Uh, he had the winner against OC. The hat trick early on in the season. And he's just, he has consistently set the tone as being a guy worthy of that number nine shirt. Um, I thought he was going to be a, st- a spot starter at best. I did not think he was a USL caliber starting striker at the beginning of this year. And I've been extremely wrong because... He has exceeded my expectations and everyone else's. So all respect to everyone on this list. But for me, I think Cortez is the most improved. Um, so good arguments for everyone, though, on that list. Congrats to all the nominees. The next category, not too close of a category. This is goal of the season, and the nominees are... Didier Drogba at Tulsa, Chris Cortez at St. Louis, Solomon Asante versus Oklahoma City, and Jason Johnson versus Tulsa. Everyone received at least one vote, but one of these goals was the clear winner. That was Jason Johnson. Can we all agree that that was the one? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, you can't ask for a better strike than what you saw there. Granted, Solomon Asante was a nice strike too in Oklahoma City coming right out of the halftime break, and Cortez with a you know a beautiful laser, you know, and to think three of these four goals are are split center top ten goals. I mean, you know, and, and even with Johnson's goal, which is currently 
uh, leading the poll for USL Goal of the Month for June, even though he didn't win Goal of the Week with it, because it ended up losing to an FC Cincinnati Goal, uh, which is also part of the Goal of the Month uh, uh, listing, but Johnson's beating it right now, but you know, that's just a wonder. That's that's those once in a lifetime strikes that you can only you know hope to see, and, and thankfully we did get the opportunity to see it. Yeah, for for me, it's got to be that Jason Johnson one. I mean, just the fact that I mean, just just the quickness of it. I mean, it was just a great ball in. I mean, he just snapped it real quick, jumped up, and just put that ball rifled it in the back of the net and I mean it was right in front of the supporter section I mean I, I, I had a great view of it so for me that's the top one but I mean like we said we've had so many quality goals to choose from and I mean so many of them are great goals but I just have to go Johnson yeah I mean the respect to all the other goals but that Johnson one's on another level um and to be able to see that right in front of me you know, the pace, the technique, the placement, it was all just perfect. So kudos to Johnson. That's that's kind of a romp. Um, next category is a little bit closer. And this one is best win of the season. Uh, the nominees are 4-1 versus OKC, 4-3 against Los Dos, that was the comeback, 5-1 at Tulsa, and 4-0 against Las Vegas Lights. And I have to say, an honorable mention, maybe one that I should have had on here, that 1-0 against OC, because uh, Michael Vanderplass at Vanderplass1L, he called me out for it on Twitter, said that should have been nominated. Big win against a real contender, and um, I'll, you know, I will hold that L. I should have had that on the list. That was a big win. I was thinking about it, but the other ones were bigger blowouts, but... Um, yeah, that was a pretty special effort. So, what are your guys' thoughts? What was the best win of the season? I, I, I gotta agree with Michael. I mean, it, it's it's the OC one. I mean, I, I, it's, it just because it's a game where I I think everything was stacked against us. You know, there was so there was such a great opportunity for Orange County to come out and get a draw like they had the past four times in a row, or or get a win, which would have really hurt at home. But that didn't happen, you know. The boys buckled down. We, we continued to let no gold June happen. And, I mean, we, we just grinded out a win, a gritty performance by the entire team. So, for me, it's the OKC one just because we haven't per- – we talked about it. We haven't performed against the top teams as well this year. But that's one game where we did. So, for me, it's that one. But, I mean, there's – the Los Dos one as well, because that was a huge turnaround comeback victory win. So, I mean, both of those, but I mean, for me, it's got to be the OC one. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I still would say Los Dos because it was a time in the year where, like, a lot was going wrong. We just came off two home draws. We needed that epic comeback. And then to get it the way we did, I that was a... Uh, a special win, but but I don't really get to talk because I screwed up on uh, <laughs> not even including the OC one. So 
I have been played off the stage and we'll move to the next category. Uh, we're winding down these categories, so kudos to us. I believe this is the second to last one now. Moment of the season. The nominees are... The final whistle against Orange County. JJ's scissor kick versus Tulsa. What's in the water on that Didier Drogba water goal against Los Dos and Didier's goal at Tulsa. What was the moment of the season for you guys? I uh, I went with what's in the water. I mean, obviously, it's a rare thing that you see. I mean, you're a low, you're lower division soccer. You have kids sitting on the sidelines. You just it's also unscripted, you know. Didier walks over there, grabs the bottle of water because he's thirsty. That doesn't know, you know, you don't normally see that in other leagues around the around the world. You know, only you know, only in places like here can you kind of see things like that. He just calmly walks over and takes a drink. Says, "I'm going to hit this." Hits the free kick. Jason Johnson scores, and then goes back and celebrates with the kid. I mean, you can't script anything like that. You you, you can't anything like that I mean so to me that's a moment of the season because when you think about that goal and its context remember we're 2-2 at the time when that happens 2-3 uh, we were losing I'm sorry we're, that's right we were down 3 I'm sorry you're right we were down 3-2 so I mean for Drogba to be that cool calm and collected you know 25-30 minutes before the match is over to just walk over and do something like that I mean that's one of those special moments that you'll never, you'll probably never see again. Yeah, I I mean like it's one of those moments where maybe in your wildest dreams you get one moment with Drogba like that, and we've seen multiple moments of Drogba just being a magician in Phoenix. But I think this one takes the cake because you're right. It's like the last twenty twenty five minutes. We're down 3-2. Um, any other player would get reamed for wasting time drinking a sip of water from a kid who happens to be Burke Bakai's son, by the way. So he knows exactly what he's doing here. Um, anyone else would get reamed for doing that. But it's Didier, so he can do it. And then he takes the corner kick. Perfect delivery, and Johnson bangs it in. And then for Drogba to go back celebrate with the kid drink the whole or pour the whole water bottle on his head it's just amazing like the context of it truly makes it one of those special moments and i i know a lot of people feel the same way about jj it's an amazing moment but i think just the context for didier's makes it my moment of the season because you know we were already up one nil against tulsa before the scissor kick i think we would have been fine in that game you know, regardless. So, I, yeah, just the just the Drogba being Drogba. That's that's something else for me. Yeah, it was it was Drogba, like you said, Drogba being Drogba. I mean, it's <laughs> it's something we would only see from him. I mean, any other player would probably get a yellow and yeah, get a bunch of flack for time wasting and. But not not Drogba, and I mean, so cool, calm, and collected in the situation. And I mean, it's it is it's just classic. And I mean, it's gonna be 
it's going to be one of those moments that I think will always be remembered by the fans of that game and even the fans watching because it's something you don't see ever. So to get to see that and have that be one of the moments in our season, I mean, that has to win it. That's the biggest one, no doubt. Yep, so we disagree with the fans there, um, but that is what it is. We've had a few like that. And so now, without further ado, our very last category, it is the mid-season team MVP, and the nominees are Solomon Asante, Carl Wazinski, Jason Johnson, and Chris Cortez, all Nominees received multiple votes, but this became a two-horse race between Solomon Asante and Carl Wazinski. Asante wins the fan vote with 50%, Carl gets second with 36%, Johnson with 9%, Cortez with 5 What are your guys' thoughts here? Because this was one of the toughest, if not the toughest, question for me to answer. I, uh, I like the fans on this one. I like choice of Solomon Asante as the mid-season MVP. I mean, you know, a team high, uh, eight goals. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, he's second on the team with six goals. My fault. Um, he's not even second, he's third. My bad. Because it's... But he's leading He's leading the team in assists, though, with six. Yeah, he leads the team in assists with six. So he's got, he's got six and six. You know, you, you look at everything that... And like I said, when you go back to one of the earlier categories when we talked about, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the Despacito uh, 4K, uh, you know, when I talked about all of his moves there, if, like I said, if you don't have his moves and you don't have his grit and his determination, you know, a lot of these plays don't happen. You know, he, he makes space and creates plays from that space. He forces people to, to come over and whether it's double team him or triple team him when he gets near the box. And then that opens something up for Jason Johnson or that opens something up for Chris Cortez or that opens something up on the other side, whether it's, you know, an Alessandro Rigi or a, a Billy Forbes or, you know, anybody like that. I mean, he's just that type of player that commands everything. And, you know, I think we are fortunate enough to have gotten him this year you know, for for Patrice to be able to go and get him and to bring him over here and to see what he's done this season, you know, you you can't ask for a whole lot more. I mean, I let, don't get me wrong, I love Carl, you know, and I think he's a, he's an excellent choice by the fans as well as to be the second choice for for their vote for Team MVP. I mean, he's saved us in a lot of ways as well. But you know, if you're looking for a true MVP at this point, I think it's got to be in my mind Solomon Asante. Yeah. I mean, Jeff, you make you make great arguments, and I mean, it's I, I can't dispute anything you said, but I mean, for me, it's just Carl because I'm still riding no goal June. I mean, I, I just can't get over the fact that he's kept so many clean sheets in a row. I mean, just the consistency. I mean, he's just locked in right now, and when you have a goalie like that. I mean, it is so demoralizing for other teams when they just can't find the back of the net. They just can't get anything to happen. I mean, we saw it against OC. We went 65 minutes down a man. 
and just limited their opportunities, ground out the result, and just physically drained them. And then they just had it happen again against LA Galaxy too. So, I mean, to, to be able to do that to teams, it's it's such a skill. And, I mean, yeah, we, would, we wouldn't be where we are without without Solomon Asante, but the same could be said about Carl Wazinski because he just keeps us in games and helps us to close him out. So, I mean, I, it, this is a really tough category. This one is it really – my heart – my heart says Asante, but my brain says Wisniewski. So I got to go with my brain here just because it makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I love both the arguments you guys have made. There's no wrong answer between these two. It is really that close. And it's really something where both of them are completely worthy winners. Um, but I'm going to say Asante just because, especially early in the season when we had some shaky performances. He was the glue guy that just kept it together. You know, the matches I already mentioned before, the Reno one where he gives us three points from nothing. Orange County, he scores our only goal. Uh, Oklahoma City, he puts us ahead with an amazing strike. You know, the game tying assist against Fresno at the end. The game tying goal against Swope in stoppage time. So many matches where he's coming up not just with important plays, but goals like right at the end, right at the death, where a true leader shows up and shows his colors. And Asante, time and time again, has been that man for us. He has come up big, made something out of nothing, and done what it takes to push us to that next level. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Karl Wozinski, and I think the last month or two, he would be our team MVP. But on the on the uh, full 18 matches, I have to give it to Asante because Asante's been in our lineup, I think, all but one week. Uh, whereas Carl missed a few matches, the coaches were giving Lubin a chance. Um, I think if we have... I mean, here's really the way I look at it. If you replace Asante with uh, Alessandro Rigi in the starting 11, I think we're still a good team, but we might be in like fourth or fifth right now. If you replace Wazinski with Lubin, maybe we're not, I mean, maybe we're not in second, but we're still, I think, in third. So Asante, to me, gets the nod because you talk about value and the value he has given us in the table with his late heroics, that just sets him apart for me. But again, very legitimate arguments either way, and um, we're just blessed to have two people that our legitimate MVPs right now. To say nothing of Cortez or Johnson, who are two leading scorers. Yeah, blessed, blessed is definitely the right thing to say. I mean, it's, we could go on and on. I mean, literally all of these guys have, have stepped up and just shown their stuff. And I mean, I, I, I think what I'm really impressed with is Asante because he has come into a new team. I mean... Johnson, Cortez, and Wazinski were all here last year. You know, they're returning stars for us. But, but yeah, I mean, Asante really has, has been the difference maker this year. So, I mean, it's, it is so tough to choose. Yeah, and like you said, there is no wrong answer in this. You know, even, you know, even with Chris Cortez and with Jason Johnson, and, you know, we, we could extend that to Amadou Dia for his, you know, his play in the back. And, you know, you, you could name six or seven team MVPs on this on this roster right now, and I don't think you could go wrong with any of them. 
you know, we have, you know, we have been blessed with a great group of guys that have really bought into the team mentality. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, well, with that being said, thank you all for listening to the risers. It's been really fun. Um, it's been a blast and we're going to do it again at the end of the season. So well, this time let's get into some team news real quick. Obviously the, the biggest news is, you know, the biggest news is out there. Obviously everybody knows Jason Johnson up for goal of the month. Uh, James Musa up for player of the month for the, for the league. Um, everybody doesn't, no, Rick Chance is up for Coach of the Month award. That vote is, is strictly done uh, by the media and the technical staff of USL. So, you know, that probably didn't get out as much as what the others have. You know, but obviously, you know, with Chance earning the opportunity to guide this club and what he's done in the month of June, you know, keep things going, which has been great. Um, you know, obviously Johnson is leading the poll right now for, you know, goal of the month, even though he didn't win goal of the week, which happened at the same time as, as, as uh, uh, Ledesma from, from FC Cincinnati, his goal, uh, had one goal of the week for that week, and Ledesma is sitting, you know, like a distant second or third right now in the in the goal of the month poll. But uh, I know James Wusa is a little bit behind in the in the uh, player of the month voting. Uh, that, I think, has a couple more days on it. And plus, you know, that not only takes in, you know, the fan vote, but it also takes in, technical vote takes in media vote so you know that's obviously still out there for him to, to have an opportunity to earn that honor as well yeah it's it's exciting to see both guys in the running right now um and especially johnson maybe getting a little bit of justice against that ledesma goal after losing to it in goal of the week voting um there must have been a lot of cincy fans that just wanted to see their guy win. I mean, it was a great goal, but we're talking about a scissor kick here. So that's good to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, not to boast, but I would say winning goal of the month is a bit of a bigger deal than goal of the week. Just saying. I'm just, I'm just going to draw that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one other bit of team news is Billy Forbes was interviewed and followed around for a day by people at Iconic. This is a publishing company, and um, they gave him a feature and basically went through his day for 24 hours, starting with, you know, practicing with the team, waking up early, um, you know, doing some work in the community, and then driving down to Tucson to see his wife play for FC Tucson Women. I had no idea his wife played soccer, and, and much less for... FC Tucson, so that was really neat to see. Um, definitely want his kid or kids to be in the Rising Youth Academy, but um, it was it was just neat to see that, and we retweeted it on our account. Everyone should go check that out because Billy Forbes is just an all around good dude. Yeah, I think he is, and you know, I think as, as fans, you like to see those types of stories and you know, a day in the life of, you know, because it just, it makes it more realistic. You know, you, you see them out there, you know they practice, you know they, they, they play games, and you know they do all this stuff, but, you know, 
are they just a regular person after you know outside the outside the lines as the rest of us? And I think that's what a lot of people like to read and like to see, you know, to know you know those little things, to know that that his wife plays soccer down in Tucson, that he goes down and watches her play. You know, you'll love to see those things, and you know it's grateful to see that article. I mean, I you know that, and then uh, you know the league has a has a you know they do a from the pitch series of, of, of articles and I, I remember back a little ways they uh, they had interviewed one of the Phoenix Rising players as well and, and and in that article it took them through the experience of you know what they did uh, in the preseason going down and playing LDQ you know um, but uh, but you know it's great to see those types of articles on that side of everything because it's something you don't always get to see yeah I mean, just so cool, and Billy Forbes, he's he's said it, he wants to be a fan favorite, and I think, you know, he's he's showing out, he's, he's letting people, you know, see how he lives and what he does, and uh, I mean, that's so cool, like Jeff said, from a fan perspective, you always like to be able to see that, it's cool to be able to re- relate to them, um, you know, and I, I had no idea that his, his wife played uh, played for SC Tucson also, that's, that's super cool that He's able to do that and still uh, still be close to her and go see her. You know that's that's great. And yeah, like you said, Dominic, that would be that would be sweet if they were able to uh, to put some kids through the Rising Academy. I think that would be a, that'd be pretty awesome to see. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, well, I think that does it for team news, and we will have USL scores and standings coming right up. Um, a note though, before this part of the podcast ends. We actually had to record this part separate from the other part. Uh, we had some technical difficulties in our first go-around. And so some of the scores that we're going to tell you in a few minutes are actually going to be a little bit late, and you guys will know very well that they are a little bit late. Uh, Reno actually came back against Seattle and is now winning 2-1. That's about to go final, and I think we can safely assume Reno will see this one out and win 2-1. That would put them up to third place in the Western Conference on 34 points. So there's a real chance that by the time we play on Saturday, they will be ahead of us because they play again in the midweek. Um, Another score that's going on right now, uh, Fresno FC, they are playing at Timbers 2, and they are actually up 3-1 in the 59th minute. So it looks like like Fresno is going to be a hot team coming into that match next Saturday. So... We're really going to have to show out to get three points. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to. Let's you know, let's touch on Reno real quick. I'm sorry, on Fresno real quick. Um, you, you just mentioned it, the three-one lead that they're going through right now. Uh, obviously, players to watch for them: Jamal Johnson leads the team, scoring seven goals on the season. Uh, Juan Pablo Capa uh, picked up his fifth goal of the season. Uh, on a penalty in the first half of, of the game that's going on currently right now as we're taping. Um, the other guy that watched, uh, Ronnie Argu- Argueta, has three goals on the season, uh, picking up his third in this game against uh, Portland as well. Um, obviously, the, the, the man in the net to watch out for, you know, for, for Fresno uh, is... Uh, Sorry, let me get to it real quick. Uh, is Kyle Rennish is a 
15 appearances on the season. He's given up 19 goals. Um, C.J. Cochran is playing today for them, uh, uh, making his fifth appearance of the season, so it'll be interesting to see which goalkeeper we'll see on Saturday. Um, another player to watch, Zachary Ellis Hayden, who leads the team with seven, um, sorry, four assists on the season. Bradley Camden for B-Row uh, with three assists on the season. So those are some guys to watch for Fresno. Um, obviously gave us a rough time, you know, the first time we played them, 2-2 draw, you know, here in, here at the Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex. Uh, you remember that match well. We ended up uh, having to play a, a portion of that match uh, down a man with the red card situation, but we fought through. Just like this team has fought through all year long, just, you know, to get a point. Obviously those points, you know, are going to become huge towards the end of the season. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we'll be watching the squibber the next week to see if we still remain in second place when we uh, when we get to that match, which will be uh, obviously key. In. But, you know, like we talked about before, guys, you know, 15 days off has been a long time. You know, can this club maintain the no-goal pace it's been on? The key, obviously, is going to be the first 20 to 25 minutes. You know, if, if we can fight, you know, through the long layoff, simple plays, simple passes, get ourselves back into a rhythm where we feel confident again, I think once we get through that first 20 to 25 minutes, we can push forward and, and really make a solid effort at, at, at getting a, a three points on the road. Yeah, I mean, a, a quick start will be key. Um, I mean, I wouldn't... Fresno has definitely been a tough team to play this year. I mean, we saw that when we played them here at home, even going down a man against them. I, I think this, given that we've had time off this like you said, there may be a bit of a lag. It may uh, take us a little time to get in the game. I hope that we're able to get off to a quick start, but I mean, I this game, I just kind of feel like this could end up being a draw. Um, I really hope that it's not. I, I just think that it could be like a 1-1, possibly. Knock on wood, hopefully not. Um, but I just, it's, it's one of those games that you kind of, you worry just because this team has been on great form as of late, Fresno. And Phoenix has as well, but after a long break, you just never know what to expect. But I, I do think if we get off to a quick start, get one goal, that we could just turn that into two and uh, come away with a victory, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be a fun match regardless, and uh, looking forward to it. I, I mean, I echo you. I think it is going to be a 1-1 draw especially with Fresno being in the form that they are in. Um, it has gone final in Seattle. Reno did pick up the win. They did hang on for that 2-1. And so they are now in third place on 34 points. Disregard what you're about to hear later. Um, but yeah, should be a fun match with Fresno, who is still up 3-1 at Timbers 2. Well, Jeff, do you have anything to add before we go to part two of this? No, okay, let's, let's get on to part two and get it on. All right. So with that team news being done, we are going to go over some USL scores and standings, and there were quite a few games during this week. So, Jeff, do you want to take us through some of these important USL scores? Yeah, let's talk about some of the scores that happened this week. Uh, you know, Going back to Tuesday of this week, Colorado Springs got a one nothing win 
Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Orange County got a one nothing win over Colorado Springs this week. A big result that happened uh, on Tuesday as well. Reno got a three nothing win over Real Monarchs. Uh, interesting, you know, interesting in the fact that that you know it was such a, a big score. I mean, you look at it, Luis Felipe Hernandez had a goal. Brian Bowen scored two goals in the second half. But I mean, you look at the statistical numbers of this match, and it just bears out everything. You know, maybe Real Monarchs are in a little bit of trouble here. You know, possession-wise, 58-42 in favor of Reno. Reno completes 150 more passes than Real Monarchs does at a, at a you know, accuracy of 84% over 77. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily time to start hitting the panic button for Real Monarchs just yet, but, I mean, you know, we've talked about this in, in a number of previous weeks before. Right now, you know, 14, 14 straight unbeaten. You know, talk about that, guys. It's just crazy what Reno continues to do. Um, every week, I joke that they are turning into last year's Reno, and every week they keep proving me right. Uh, I was—I think a lot of Rising fans were excited to see this match, and I think a lot of people felt like Reno could win. I don't think a lot of people expected it to go three nil. So, uh, credit where credit is due, but. How big are those three points over Reno looking now for us? Because this is a team absolutely on fire. They might even be ahead of us by the time that we play Fresno on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, like you said, huge, those three points that Sante was able to steal from them with that penalty kick at the death. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's they're definitely uh, the Reno of last year without... Dan Kelly and Chris Weehan, so it's it's crazy they've been able to replicate the same kind of form. Um, I mean, I just think we're kind of fortunate we played them up in Reno when we did, and we were able to to, to get those points. Um, yeah, like, I mean, like you said, they may be above us, and I think that 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 match at the end of the season against Reno is going to be a tough one for us. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy they've been able to have this turnaround, but great for them and. Great, they were able to take points away from Monarchs. That helps us a lot. Yeah, that's for sure. Let's talk about another result that happened on Wednesday. Uh, San Antonio getting a 1-1 draw at home against Oklahoma City Energy. You know, this really is starting to put San Antonio behind the eight ball, guys. I mean, we, we expected San Antonio to be high up the list this year. You know, and all of a sudden, they're sitting here below the line, and, and they're in some real danger right now. Yeah, they are three points behind Colorado Springs for that last playoff spot. We'll get to the standings soon, but I think the biggest thing here is this is a home match against a non-playoff team. They're not the same OKC that, you know, couldn't kick the ball into the ocean the first couple months of a season, but... This is still a match you have to win at home. And to fall behind in that match, and you need a late strike from Alex Bruce just to get the 1-1 draw, that's got to be a pretty terrible feeling because all this season we've been waiting for the switch to flip, and now we're here halfway through. They're two points ahead of Las Vegas Lights, and they're behind Fresno on goal difference. In 10th. It's it's crazy. I mean, they're not where any of us had had anticipated they would be. And I mean, it's like you said, they need to flip that switch. 
as soon as possible because sitting where they're at right now, I mean, they still have a lot of ground to make up. And, I mean, it's going to be tough for them to to play. It looks like they're going to be playing a playoff match on the road if they do make the top eight. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be tough. They will be a tough team even on the road in playoffs. But, I mean, yeah, at some point they're going to have to turn it around because the 1-1 at home against Orange County. Or, uh, uh, OKC of this season, that's just, that's not going to cut it. No, it's, it's not going to cut it. I mean, you know, and granted, Orange County, um, Oklahoma City has really turned their season around quite a bit, but, you know, I don't think that they've turned it around enough to really, you know, for, for San Antonio to, to, to have a result like they did. I mean, I know Billy Forbes meant a lot to them, and I know. You know, Devin Vega had something to do with them, but I don't really think that they had that much to do with them. Do you think, guys? Oh, Billy Forbes, maybe. I think Billy Forbes was a pretty big impact player in San Antonio, but they let him go pretty early on. So the fact that they didn't replace him with a player of, you know, good, decent quality that has performed, I mean, they're missing that. So... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You think that a team like San Antonio, they've they've been a contender so far throughout their existence, so it's it's kind of puzzling. I think puzzling is a good word to use. Um, but let's not let's not dwell on San Antonio too much. Let's go to some of the other matches, including a pretty interesting one for Swope on Thursday. Yeah, definitely an interesting one on Thursday. Swope gets a two nothing win. Uh, over Seattle Sounders, too. Uh, the interesting thing here is Swope Park plays this match 70 minutes plus down a man. I mean, that that in itself is surprising. Uh, Felipe Hernandez got him on the board first in the 10th minute. Then it was Mateus Silva who picked up the red card in the 21st to put him down a man, but to get a second half goal from Haji Berry uh, on a penalty to give him the 2 nothing win. Um, you know, obviously the stats are going to bear out the numbers. You know, 67% possession, almost uh, almost 300 more passes for Seattle. You know, this seems to be the trend that we've been seeing for the most part with, with teams that are on a losing end of a of a being a man down. That they'll pass the ball around but they can't do anything with it. I mean, perfect case and example is what happened here last week with Orange County. Orange County had the better possession, had the more passes, but what happened? They couldn't do anything with that result. We see it again here now, you know, with with a Sounders team that had 70 minutes worth of, of possession advantage. Yeah, and, you know, even though they get 67% possession, no shots on target for Seattle Sounders. I mean, that's it goes to show you, you know, what kind of a team they are and what we'll be looking forward to in a couple weeks because we get them on Dollar Beer Night on the 20th. Um, so that should be guaranteed three points. Uh, but, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty disappointing result for Sounders 2 fans, especially the way it played out. Um, moving into Saturday... There were some interesting results. RGV and Tulsa draw 1-1. OKC Energy and Colorado tie 1-1. Um, that was a match where OKC scored first. Colorado hit back in the second half. Um, and then some matches that we do want to talk about a little bit. 
first, Vegas gets a 1-0 win over St. Louis. Um, this goal was scored in the second half in the 48th minute, and it was kind of St. Louis's defense falling apart, paving the way for Raul Mendiola to score off of nothing, basically. And it was the only shot on target for either team in that match. A pretty dreary match, but keeps Vegas in the hunt. And then I think these two results, I'm just going to give the scores and let you guys talk about them because these are the ones we want to discuss more. Orange County 0, LA Galaxy 3, and Sacramento Monarchs nil, Real Monarchs nil. Well, you know, and it goes back to the old adage again. We just talked about it with Seattle. Orange County gets the gets the man advantage for 45 minutes. Again, they get the possession advantage. Again, they get the passing advantage. And what happens? They can't make anything happen of it. Second time in three matches where they've had a man advantage and they can't do anything with it. you got to wonder if there's something tactically going on there that they're not picking up or if it's just the fact that, that they're not thinking with a man advantage to, to push the envelope a little bit more. I mean, it just... It, it shocks me that things like this happen. You know, I think we see this more often than not that even though you have a man advantage, more times than not, people aren't taking advantage of it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, some credit goes to Galaxy's keeper, Brian Sylvester. This was his first start of the season for them. He was on loan with North Carolina, I think, for most of the season, and he made his low-stose debut. He gets six saves in this match to preserve the shutout. So credit there, but also really frustrating result for Orange County, who now drops into a fifth-place tie with Sacramento. Yeah, yeah, really frustrating. And I think I think the problem with with going down, going up a man, is sometimes that the team that's down a man, they're just content to sit back and defend. And I think in both of these occasions. I'm not sure in the, the LAOC game, but OC was already down as far as goals. So to have for a team to just sit back and defend when they already have a lead, you know, that's it's a tough, tough, tough task. But if a team's able to do it and like they were against OK against Orange County, um, I mean, more power to LA Galaxy for being able to, to produce that kind of performance. I mean, yeah, huge. I mean, being an, an Orange County fan, you would expect that you could. Uh, come back and get something against a team that's lower than you in the rankings so i mean just really hard really hard for them to to give up that kind of result especially because la's third goal came after the red card it came in the second half when they were already up two nil so um that's a weird one and then the result that we were also looking forward to sacramento and real monarchs get a nil nil draw what were you guys' thoughts you know, it, it's a good result for us. Obviously, it helps us out quite a bit. You know, Sacramento looked like they had the better chances in this match. It's six shots on target, to two, only two for Real Monarchs. Uh, you know, better possession advantage. You know, a lot tighter on the passes in this match. Um, you know, uh, you wonder if Real is starting to hit a little bit of a wall at this point. I mean... You know, their, their results as of recent, they're 2-2-1 two, two and one in their last five matches played. I mean, going through a little bit of a struggle here at this point, could this be the right time that, that we catch them, you know, on a bad run and we can go up there in a couple of weeks and really make a difference and, and make a run at the top spot? 
yeah, I mean, this is from a Phoenix Rising standpoint. I mean, this was this was a great result. The teams just haven't split to one point. Um, I mean, like like we've talked about, we're uh, you know we're uh, we're even in in games played. We're only three points down, and we play we play Monarchs coming up in a couple weeks. So I mean, the opportunity is there. And like you talked about, Jeff, they, they seem to have taken a bit of a dip in form. I mean, I think this is the best chance Phoenix is going to get to capitalize um, and maybe get up into that number one spot. Yeah, and it, it, it looks like they will be for the taking. Monarch's next two matches before our match will be home against Sounders 2, so that's going to be a win. But then away to San Antonio on the 21st. That could be a very physical match. It uh, could be a very tough match for Monarchs, and then they will have to respond against us on Saturday the 28th. So I'm really excited for that match. I think everyone is, and, you know, we'll see in a few weeks what we can do. Um, Jeff, do you want to take us through the standings now? Because I think that's all the important matches. Yep. Like, with the exception of, obviously, today's matches going on, uh, you know, that includes... Uh, Sounders two is you know Sanders two is playing again uh, this afternoon. Uh, bear with me, I got to pull the matches for today back up. Uh, Sounders, yeah, Sounders two currently playing right now against Reno, and actually at the moment, uh, Sounders have a one nothing lead early in this match. Uh, David Estrella, I'm sorry, David Estrada in the 18th minute uh, gives gives Sounders two FC the early lead. That could definitely be an interesting result if it if it turns around. Timbers Fresno this afternoon, uh, getting ready to start shortly. So here's the standings. Uh, this does not include the games that are being played currently right now. So as Real Monarchs are the top 38 points off of 18 matches played. Phoenix Rising second, 35 points off of 18 matches played. Uh, it's Fort Park Rangers in third at uh, 31 points off of 17 matches played. It's Reno in fourth. 31 points off of 18 matches played. Orange County's in fifth, 30 points off of 18 matches played. Sacramento has fallen to sixth, 30 points in in 19 matches played. Portland Timbers, two sits seventh to 26 points with 17 matches played. Rounding out the top eight at the moment, Colorado Springs, 25 points off of 20 matches played. When you get to the bottom half of the table, it's Fresno in ninth, 22 points off of 19 matches played. It's San Antonio in 10th, 22 points off of 16 matches played. St. Louis FC in 11th, 22 points off of 18 matches played. And you get to 12th, Las Vegas Lights FC, 20 points off of 16 matches played. It's LA Galaxy 2 in 13th, 19 points off of 18 matches played. Oklahoma City is in 14th, 18 points off of 18 matches. Rio Grande in 15th, 13 points off of 17 matches played. Tulsa's in 16th at 12 points off of 18 matches played. Rounding out the standings, it's Sounders 2 FC at the bottom, 11 points off of 15 matches played. Obviously, you know, Real Monarchs holding their positioning pretty much where they are at the top but not gaining points on us is huge. Uh, You know, now everybody is pretty much even on matches with the exception of Swope. So now you're looking at a four-point gap between us and Reno. It's a five-point gap between us and Orange County. It's six. I'm sorry. It's five points to Sacramento as well. And now it's it's a gap of 
nine points down to Timbers and seven. So obviously the gap is is very big there for us. And, and obviously the biggest number is that the matches played are now evening up. Yes, the matches are evening up, and that we're still in a really good spot uh, because a lot of those matches went favorably for us this past weekend. Um, something that's also developed here, you're now seeing teams 3 through 6 in the standings are all separated by just one point, but then the gap from 6 to 7 is 4 points. The gap from 6 to 9 is now 8 points, and that's that group San Antonio is in, and that's where you have to start wondering what is San Antonio's regular season ceiling because, okay, say that they pull things together, the best they can realistically look to finish in the West might be 7th place this season because there is now such a huge gap between them at 22 points and Sac Republic up at 30 and then if Timbers 2 wins this afternoon, they're going to go up to 29. So then there's even going to be a 7-point gap between San Antonio and 7th place. Yeah, it's really starting to lengthen out. And that, you know, it's really starting to show where the talent in this conference really is. And, you know, you know we, we thought San Antonio was going to be high up at the beginning of the season. We could be looking at them sitting out or even 7-8. I mean, you know... In the past, so we we would think teams sitting six, seven, and eight are dangerous teams to play in the playoffs. It really doesn't seem like it this year. I mean, granted, we haven't seen San Antonio play yet this year, you know, and we'll see them later on in the season. But still, you know, I'm not as fearful as a team that's sitting six, seven, eight right now as a team that I was fearful, you know, that I would have been fearful last year for, for example. Yeah, I mean, you're you're totally right there. I mean. I think that that uh, I mean those lower teams this year they just don't have the the you know the attack to strike fear into you like like I think they did last year and I mean especially in San Antonio's case I mean they're a team that you we don't really know what to expect from them they haven't been the the defensive wall that they were last year and as far as being able to grind out games they just haven't been able to get it done as often so it's yeah I mean it's it's kind of a I mean, it's, it's nice from a Phoenix standpoint, but, I mean, as far as those teams, it's it's kind of one of those that you, you worry a little bit. And I think it also emphasizes the importance of finishing top two because you look at those three through six clubs, you're looking at um, Swope Park, Reno, Orange County, Sacramento. Those are all very dangerous teams. Any one of those teams could give us a battle and maybe take us to penalties. And once you get to penalties, it's a crapshoot. So really, there should be a strong emphasis on finishing top two this season and getting a very desirable first-round matchup. Yeah, I mean, getting a favorable, you know, quarter... Uh, <coughs> I'm sorry, not quarterfinal, but a semifinal matchup, whether that would be Swope, you know, Reno... Santo, you know, I'm sorry, not Santo, Sacramento, you know, anybody in that group, you know, you'd be fearful of them, yeah, but at least you'd get them at home, and that would be the key. I think that would be the key is just holding on to that so that you get that second home match, you know, not worry as much about, you know, getting the number one seed, let's say, and having a home field for the entire Western Conference playoffs, 
I mean, at least if you can guarantee yourself at least two home matches, you, you know for sure at that point, you know, you, you've got to feel good about your chances at that point. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think just getting that first home playoff match would be huge for us. And like you said, if we could wrap up a second, that would be great. I mean, I think it would, you know, it would give us a really great chance. And yeah, if we did have to go on the road to, to potentially Monarchs, for the uh, Western Conference Final, I, I still would like Phoenix chances because I think I think we have a mature squad, and, I mean, Monarchs has shown that they're a team with faults. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that as long as we can get those first two games at home, I think we would have a great chance. Yeah, can't agree more. Um, let's talk about a couple things before we get into closing thoughts. Um, kind of nice to see Diplo on the Phoenix Rising pitch earlier this week. Uh, Phoenix Rising just tweeted that out yesterday, and that was pretty fun to see. Uh, and then there are going to be a couple watch parties this upcoming weekend for the Fresno match. There's going to be one at Thirsty Lion uh, for the match against Fresno. And then I believe the Brass Tap in Gilbert will have a World Cup final watch party. And at both of those, they usually give up give away prizes... Um, and you know, they just do a lot of cool stuff. It actually looks like there are also World Cup watch parties for the semi-final matches, Sweden versus England on, well, that's quarterfinals, excuse me. Those aren't even, those aren't even current watch parties, but the World Cup final watch party will be at the Brass Tap in Gilbert. So if any fans are interested, go to those, um, at least myself. I will be there at the one in Gilbert, and I will be looking to sell some of those Rising as One t-shirts, so if you're interested, we will have them available, all sorts of sizes, black and red, and $15 a pop, great value, great shirt, um, and come watch an amazing World Cup final. So, with that being said, I think we can go to closing thoughts. And you know, we you know a lot of things that we thought about in the beginning. You know, we weren't sure how the defense was going to hold up. We weren't sure, you know, how Didier Drogba was going to factor into things. Obviously, coming in so late, you know, we didn't know, you know, certain aspects. We didn't know how how Carteron was going to set up his lineup if he was going to stay with his formation or change things. You know, but. Obviously, throughout this first half of the season, it's been such a, a relief to see that the defense has come around, you know, especially after some early struggles. Even though we had some of those early struggles, you know, we weren't losing points. We were at least, you know, holding on to points. You know, it's a lot better than what it used to be in the past when we were, you know, we were losing games in, in, the, in the end and not being able to retain points. You know, this year it's changed quite a bit to where, you know, we found a way to either retain points or to even gain points, you know, such as, you know, perfect examples, the Reno match where, you know, we, you know, we barely hung on to a point but got three, you know, thanks to Solomon Asante's late goal. You know, we hung on to three points here at the very end, you know, with Orange County, you know, playing down a man, uh, you know, 
fighting back against Los Dos. That could have been a game that were very easily could have gone, you know, in a wrong direction, being down two nothing so early. But to see the club's grit and tenacity and fight in them to, to win it out four three, I mean, it's just you know that speaks volumes to where this team has come in in a, in a couple of years time. So. You know, hats off to the boys. Great effort in the first half of the season. Look forward to many more uh, positive results to come, come down the rest of the season. Obviously, the big game coming up is coming in two weeks. And, I, you know, I can't, I can't wait to, to see how these boys are going to play on the field against uh, Real Monarchs and really show if this club has a first-place uh, uh, mentality in them to, to make this run down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, it, at the beginning of the season, when I I heard that it was the ownership group's goal to uh, to make it to the USL Cup and win it, I I kind of thought that maybe that was a bit of a stretch. I thought last season, yeah, we had a great team, but I just I didn't know if we'd be able to be one of the top teams all season in USL. But I mean, now I completely see what their vision was and how they made that their goal because I mean it is realistic we're you know we're number two in the western conference and overall in the entire league we're number two right now we would be top of the eastern conference so I mean it's I think that Phoenix has great potential and like you said Jeff we have a huge match coming up in two weeks against Monarchs and I mean if they can take advantage of that and get into the number one spot and uh you know, get that home field advantage all throughout the, the Western Conference playoffs. That would be huge, and I think I think that the fans would come out if that were to take place at the end of the season, and it would just be a great showcase for MLS to show them that Phoenix takes its soccer seriously and it's ready to, to move up to the next level. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been nothing but, but great, um, a great series of events this season, and hopefully that continues. Definitely. Um, this was such a fun, positive awards show This uh, that we were just able to record. And it really speaks volumes about everything that's going on with this team on the pitch, off the pitch. Uh, you know, credit to all the coaches for getting the team to this point, to the players for showing up and giving us so many amazing moments, really giving us a season's worth of memorable moments and we're still in early july so i think that's so incredible so impressive and it's a good time to be a rising fan it's a great time to be a fan of soccer so just keep supporting the boys the next home match is going to be a dollar beer night and if you need that soccer fix before then there are going to be watch parties for the team for the world cup final uh so just come hang out at those and then we'll see you all inside the stadium on july 20th where we can just keep that impressive home form going with another three points do you guys have anything to add no i think that's it let's let's get these games going for the second half of the season yeah no you you got it all i mean i'm like you said, I'm looking forward to this dollar beer night. I think we can continue our home form. Um, hopefully we're able to get the job done in Fresno. Indeed. And, you know, we're just counting down the days now until men in blazers get to come out to Phoenix Rising Soccer Comp- Complex and 
enjoy what we've already known is the best soccer experience in this state you know hopefully they'll get to experience it firsthand um but exciting times ahead so i think with that being said thank you guys for listening to this version of the risers and for the rest of the episode as always go rising We'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.